Hi, everybody. Welcome to Try Accept Pass, the short-form podcast that helps you learn more about your favorite development topics. This is your host, Christian Medina. Today we talk about one of my favorite topics, practicality. You see, a lot of times we'll go online to learn more about design patterns, stay up to date with the latest industry trends. We'll watch a video, listen to a podcast like this one, or read an article. But we're taught in generalizations. A lot of times, it's even impossible to understand what were the initial constraints that led to the development of a new design pattern. Uh, But it's up to us as engineers to apply those new patterns and trends and buzzwords even while understanding what the trade-offs are. So we need to research and try to uh, come up with not just why we should use some new technology, but also what we're giving up when we're doing that. This article that I'm about to read you touches on that topic. Uh, Specifically, we're looking at the trade-offs between using object relational mappers, or ORMs, versus writing your own SQL queries. It's an article that we posted to our site uh, some time ago. It was received fairly well, so I thought you guys might enjoy it as well. Here it goes. I've been using some form of database throughout the entirety of my career. Even when learning programming, most of the applications I built were around storing or managing some type of information. Sometimes it was using single-file databases. Most of the times I was using full-blown servers. But the large majority of the effort dedicated to these systems was around figuring out how to optimize them, even more so than testing or designing them. With all those years of experience, though, I managed to learn that I'm by no means an expert at any of this. In fact, there are several mechanisms by which folks make the best use of their database servers almost all of which involve some form of trade-off that best applies to the application attributes that you're looking for. Things like memory usage or storage space are important, but sometimes it's more relevant to reduce your lookup times or the times retrieving the results from your disks, or even getting a more efficient backup mechanism because your data is just that critical. As expected, though, each one of these mechanisms has its own quirks and optimizations, But the common theme across all of them is that they all use structured query language to retrieve information from your database server. There are different database engines implementing different extensions to the language, some of which add powerful functionality, some of which just add to the confusion. But in general, SQL has been very successful in standardization across the industry. In fact, it's been in use for decades. Now, as we relate database structures to more modern programming practices like object-oriented programming, there's been a number of constructs that people have come up with to help write optimum queries. And in the object-oriented world, the most common one has been the idea of an object relational mapper, or ORM. ORMs allow you to map a class written in any language like Python or Java to its corresponding SQL structure in the given database. It takes care of formulating queries for you, 
as well as setting up relationships, indexing, or doing other database configuration. It even helps uh, manage query transactions and database server connection pools. With these systems, most of your queries map directly to class methods. So if you have a user class that models an equivalent table and you want to retrieve the list of all users, simply executing a .query.all method on your class will retrieve that list for you. And it'll return uh, a list of user class instances in your code, where each one of those instances has a property that corresponds to a table column in your database. The ORMs keep track of changes you make to those instances, so simply assigning a new value to a property can later be sent back to the database with a call to a commit function, and the ORM layer will take care of uh, performing the correct update query or SQL statements in order to make the changes that you requested. Now, what are the main reasons people would like to use ORMs instead of communicating to the database directly? The biggest attractor is just being familiar with object-oriented concepts. I don't need to learn SQL. I can just perform operations on base classes, and everything translates easily to my database server. It also helps reduce the boilerplate you would write to get data off your backend. You won't have to worry about coercing information that you pull into tuples or lists out into class objects, because the ORM has a layer that'll do that for you. Also, the interface that these systems provide is abstracted above the engine, so you won't have to worry about the fact that if in the future you might have to switch from, say, SQLite to MySQL or Postgres. Your application will just keep functioning without any major code changes, barring, of course, some corner cases. There are also migration tools built on top of these ORMs that help update the structure of your database over time by applying or reverting changes to your schema as you make changes to the data model in your code. Now, all this sounds fantastic. What, what happens when you actually get into the specifics, though? You see, there's only so much that an abstraction layer can assume about your data. So at some point, you'll need to perform manual optimizations. And doing so requires deeper knowledge of the internal structure and APIs that make up the ORM package itself. This means that instead of learning SQL, you wind up having to learn ORM. And since ORMs differ in how they handle things, the whole purpose of having a common language is now out the window. By default, for example, ORMs only retrieve the minimal amount of information needed to satisfy your query. So let's expand a little bit on the user example we had before and assume that we also have a team class that has a foreign key relationship to your user. Listing all users from the database will not include all the columns from the team's table. It only include an identifier. So you'd have to ask the ORM to make your join explicitly. Now, why is that important? If you're implementing an interface or some form of REST API endpoint, which provides a, just a little bit of team information along with it, like maybe the name, you'll find that the default ORM behavior gets the list of all the users in one query, but executes a separate query for the team name of each user. So to get into specifics, if you had 100 users in 30 teams, you make 31 round trips to your database. It's not obvious that this is happening unless you read the docs in extreme detail 
or you're consciously enabling the ORM to show a query log of the SQL statements that it sends to the database. Now that's easy to fix. You can define the team reference in your user class to be an eager join instead of a lazy join, which is the default. And then this means that you'll have all the information you requested in one query. And the specifics of how that happens is all taken care of by the ORM layer in the backend. However, now that we added eager joins everywhere that it's required, we can look at other complexities. So assume you have the user and team classes that we just talked about, and they're needed in an interface that lists all the tests executed by a particular team for all the products for the last month. This interface includes the users that executed them, the teams they're in, and the teams that own the test cases. Since we added eager joins, now we have a different problem. The query to the database is a larger join that retrieves duplicate information because the tests are owned by teams and the users belong to teams. And yes, again, the ORM actually knows how to optimize for this, but you need to tell it you want that done. And in order to figure out how to do that, you have to read some more about the ORM, which again, you're replacing learning SQL with learning how ORMs, ORM APIs function. And if you're like me and you already know SQL, you'll spend a lot of time trying to figure out which methods to call from the ORM in order to produce the optimized SQL query that you already know it should be producing. And given that there's different implementations between ORMs, learning how it works on one doesn't mean that it's going to work on another. Now, what happens when you start to scale this? Depending on what you're trying to accomplish, it's entirely possible for the ORM not to scale at all for your needs. So let's look at a different example. So let's say we're building a single page application with the idea to front load as much data as possible in order to deliver a responsive interface. So if your server is somewhere like China or behind some high latency firewall, it might be acceptable already to wait several seconds to load 20,000 records because half of that time is gonna go into connecting to the server across the firewall. And yes, I did say in China, this is actually common in multinational large corporations that you know you have a server that's sitting in a completely different geographical location. Now adding a record paging mechanism to this system would make your experience for retrieving the 20,000 records a lot worse. Whether you load one record or 100, you're still incurring that initial penalty to reach your server, which would be several seconds per request. So why, why does this get more complicated with an ORM? And in order to better explain that, let's look at what an endpoint function on an API would look like. Assuming we're only working with user records, which are part of a larger team record, we should retrieve 20,000 user team entries, which seems simple enough you would just make an endpoint that returns a JSON formatted list of users from the function that you need. Execute.query.all, turn it into JSON, and you're done. But when you try this out, it becomes really obvious that something's not right. One minute goes by and the function still hasn't returned its response, you're starting to wonder what the heck is going on. So let's look at how that actually traverses through the ORM and database layers in your application. So you have your endpoint function. It asks the ORM to get a list of users. That's your first step. The ORM then has to translate that command to SQL. Then it has to ask the underlying database engine module to send that command, which then the database server receives after some network latency and gets the data from its storage and sends it over the network. 
Now the database engine in your code receives the data and passes it to the ORM in some form of base, tuple, or lists. And the ORM has to take each one of those entries in the tuple and instantiate a new user class, set its properties, then instantiate a team class, set its properties, append them to a list, and return them to your endpoint function. Now, your function now has a list of all users' instances, but since we're just writing an API that gets me all the information, you need to then take those instances, break them apart into a dictionary that's JSON serializable, and send it back out over the network to your actual consumer of the API. So we essentially asked the database for some stuff. It gave us that information in a list of tuples or strings and maybe integers. Uh, for which you then instantiated two classes per tuple, then did nothing with those classes other than instantiate two extra dictionaries per class, which are then serialized back to JSON and output into the network. 80% of that compute time was just moving, uh, instantiating and breaking apart classes in order to serialize it back out over the network. Now, some ORMs have a way to control class instantiation and some don't. Uh, you'll have to learn how to use the ORMs properly in order to understand your specific situation. Most folks may not run into this problem at all, but if you do, it can be a pain to figure out how to get the base response that avoids, avoids wasting so much compute. In fact, it might just be easier to ditch the ORM entirely and issue the query directly from the database module. ORMs will know how to optimize the query, but they will not know what you're going to do with it. You're essentially moving the problem from one domain to another, which is the typical thing we do in engineering. But don't forget to ask whether the code is actually simpler or more maintainable, and whether it's easy to tell where you can find the implicit abstractions that might get you into trouble. For the vast majority of the cases, using an ORM is well worth that trouble. But don't forget to budget time for learning how to use it. Okay, so I think we've uh, looked at the consequences of adding ORMs into your application. And like we said at the start of the episode, it's really important for us as engineers to keep that in mind when we're making design choices. If you look at how this design pattern implements its solution, the consequences of doing so, uh, you realize that you're you're eating up a bunch of resources that are going to slow your system down, which then is may or may not be an issue depending on what it is that you're trying to what problem it is that you're trying to solve. So, as an engineer, you need to be able to understand. Yes, this is a a trade off that I can live with, or no, this is something that I'm going to have to deal with at some point. And sometimes the answer is both. You can live with it for a short period of time and deal with it later. However, you, what you don't want is to be surprised by this type of situation. All right. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening to the Dragset Pass podcast. If you liked it, feel free to subscribe with your favorite app. Don't forget to visit tragsetpass.org for more articles around real-world software. You can stay informed by signing up to our mailing list. If you have an article that you'd like to see us cover, send us a tweet at tragsetpass. 
This is Christian Medina, wishing you good times.